seated. What a powerful song to uh, conclude the musical time of our worship and running into the arms of our King who reigns. That's just a powerful picture. That's the picture of grace. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. <clears throat> Had some, some heavy sermons. Uh, the last month and a half or so, haven't we? Those of y'all who have been here, uh, we've been finishing Mark. We've got one more sermon from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and, you know, as we've concluded Mark, we've been, the focus has been on the cross. Jesus going to the cross, Jesus at the cross, and we've just hit on powerful, heavy theological concepts. Some of you may remember um, Justin preaching and, and a really graphic picture of the weight of sin and how vile sin is before a holy God. God looking at sin, uh, you know, the picture of vomit and, and practices that just infuriate us. Um, that's the image of sin. And we all have sin in our lives, and all sin, um, sin cannot be before a holy and just perfect God. There's nothing that we can do to stand on our own because of our sinful condition in front of a perfect holy God. But in order to satisfy the wrath of God because of sin in our lives, Jesus became a substitute for us. He lived the perfect sin, sinless life and died for us in our place. Because of His blood that was shed on, on the cross, we are no longer guilty of sin. We are justified. We are made right before God. We are now able to stand before God because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, it is all white clean and we're forgiven. We are saved. We are no longer subject to the penalty of sin, which is death. Uh, we are free. We are raised to newness of life with our Savior. Um, we're not just forgiven. We are free to experience the abundant life with Him, eternal life. We are part of this Stuff. This is the story of grace. And grace is beautiful. I think we can kind of get dull to how amazing grace truly is. This morning I'd like to look at the story of grace from a different angle. We're actually going to go to the Old Testament. We're going to go into the look at a story from the days of kings, King Saul, King David. And in the midst of what was going on there, um, there's a powerful short story that um, is an incredible illustration of the grace of God. I mean, it's amazing that God in His sovereignty as these historical events were playing out that He crafted this to happen in such a way that it would be a picture of what Jesus has done for us on the cross what, and, and what His grace is. Um, so we're going to look at this story. If you want to open up your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13 today. Uh, if, if you're using one of the few Bibles in, uh, in the chair in front of you, that will be page 346. And this is 2 Samuel chapter 9, and the main character of our story is a guy named Mephibosheth. Now, there's a fun name. Mephibosheth. Alright, now you guys get to say it with me this morning. 1, 2, 3, Mephibosheth. 
Uh, just for fun, we're going to try to say it three times fast. One, two, three. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. All right, there you go. Um, it's hard. We all struggled. And so when I screw his name up at some point during this sermon, you can't laugh because we were all in this together just now. Mephibosheth. Man, he's a, um, it's a short story and it often gets lost over. But he's, Mephibosheth has a great story. But his story started long before this text that we're going to look at today. And it actually began with his grandfather. His grandfather was King Saul. King Saul, who God appointed as king and said, I will give you all this to represent me and be my king in the earth. You should just follow me and keep your ways on the right path. But pride took over in King Saul's heart. And his heart hardened. And Saul, um, Saul made choices um, so drastic that God removed his blessing on Saul and, uh, and anointed David to be king. And in the meantime, uh, David's doing great things, slaying the giants but, and, um, and other great things. But then Saul chases after David out of jealousy, and um, that goes on. And, and, and in the meantime, David is befriending Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan helps David escape. Um, Saul and Jonathan eventually die in battle. The guy in battle. He wasn't, he wasn't this David as well. And this paved the way for, for David, the Lord's anointing, to now become the king. And um, when that happens in Scripture, a few verses later, we read this. And it's so easy to gloss over it. This is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4. I'm just going to offer this up. Hold your place in chapter 9 right now. Now Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son who was crippled in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan arrived from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but in her haste to get away, he fell and was injured. Mephibosheth. So this, this little baby Mephibosheth, um, you know, with the chaos and the news of Saul and Jonathan, he fell between lanes, crippled ever since. That's where he enters the story. This is Mephibosheth. Let's look at the name again until here. Chapter 9. Let's begin the story. And I'd like to, before I move backward, begin the Lord, as we go into your word, may it be your spirit that speaks. And may you navigate this time, may it be your words, and penetrate hearts, Lord, and transform people's lives. May you listen to what you have. For chapter 9, verse 1. Then David asked, Is anyone still left from the family of Saul so that I may extend kindness to him for the sake of Jonathan? Now there was a servant from Saul's house named Ziba, so he was seven to David. The king asked him, Are you Ziba? And he replied, At your service. The king asked, not someone left from Saul's family, but I may extend God's kindness to him. Ziba said to the king, one of Jonathan's sons is left, and both of his feet are crippled. And the king asked him, where is he? And Ziba told the king, he is at the house of Machar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So what do we see here? Well, the first thing uh, that jumps out is 
Ray wants to show kindness. That's his goal, right? He wants to show kindness. Isn't that nice? We like that word, kindness. It's good to be kind. Well, the, the original text that the author wrote in, he used the word hesed. That's the term. This is one of my favorite I only have a couple of Hebrew words I get really excited about. I know I talk about Shalom all the time. But this is my second favorite, I promise. Tested. Um, there is no English word that completely captures the breadth, this, the breadth of this term. Tested has been translated different ways in different English translations to try to, to wrap it up. Uh, you'll see loving kindness. You'll see loyal love sometimes. Um, the Book of Ruth. Any of y'all are familiar with that? That's all about Hesed. That word shows up all throughout it. It's all about the, the radical kind of unconditional love, a loyal kind of love that even when um, the stakes are high, you are committed to show this grace, love, mercy, compassion, kindness. Uh, Hesed, I mean, this is an attribute of God. It's not something God just, God only does, and it's part of who he is. He gives his unconditional love covenants to show love to us um, and we are his people. Um, he has essence for his people. Who God is. And David reaches out to extend this loyal love to Mephibosheth. You know, it says, the first time he says, I may extend, want to extend kindness. The second time he says, I, I want to extend God's kindness to him. I mean, he is, he is trying to extend a loyal type of God-like love and kindness and mercy to someone of Saul's line. And so we ask the question, why Mephibosheth? Why did David want to do this for Mephibosheth? Um, and when Saul was trying to kill David, Jonathan protected him. There's a great story, 1 Samuel chapter 20. And here's a tip for you uh, parents and grandparents out there. Our kids are learning the stories of Jonathan and David this Wednesday in, uh, in the Gospel Project. I mean, love it when God brings things together like that. And uh, so after Wednesday, you, you can ask them to tell you what they learned or use the Gospel Project app to, to go over the story again. And uh, then after that, you can tell them the story of the a great follow-up. Uh, First Samuel chapter 20 tells that story and um, of Jonathan protecting David. And then at the tail end of that story, we learn this. Jonathan said to David, May the Lord be with you as he was with my father. While I am still alive, extend to me the loyalty of the Lord, or else I will die. Don't ever cut off your loyalty to my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies to him. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Jonathan once again took an oath with David because he loved him. In fact, Jonathan loved him as much as he did his own life. Jonathan and David had strong friendships, so strong they had a covenant relationship. David, years later, remembered his promise to his son. There was no one saying, hey, calling on David to do this. Jonathan's gone. He could have easily just continued on and, and not thought anything of it. But David remembered his promise, and because of Jonathan, he reached out to the other In the same way, it's because of Jesus that God reaches out to us and welcomes us has nothing to do with who we, who we are, who our family is, what we've done, how smart we are, how pretty we are, you know, any of that stuff. 
that wasn't the case for Mr. Bichette. And Mr. Holt, he didn't ask for it either. I'll have to use it as a janitor. So that's all because of Jesus that God reaches out for us. Let's continue the story. Beginning in verse 5. So King David had him brought from the house of Machus and Amiel in Lodabar. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed low with his face toward the ground. David said, Mephibosheth! He replied, Yes, at your service. David said to him, Don't be afraid, because I will certainly extend kindness to you for the sake of Jonathan, your father. I will give back to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will be a regular guest at my table. Then Mephibosheth shook bowed and said, of what importance am I, your servant, that you share with God for a dead God's Can you imagine what's going through Mephibosheth's mind here? First of all, where is Mephibosheth coming from? He's coming from a place called Lodabar. Uh, a lot of irony there, because that, that word Lodabar, it means no pasture land. A barren place. Mephibosheth has been living out his days in isolation, probably self-imposed in a barren wasteland, in the wilderness. Do you remember when God reached out to you when you were in a wasteland in need of a Savior? That's where, that's where Mephibosheth is, far away in a barren wasteland. And he has been called before the king, and what is he thinking? Well, my grandfather's dead. My dad's dead. All my uncles have, have been whacked off one after another. And recently, his uncle Ishbosheth had, had been killed by David's soldiers, although that wasn't David's will. And David was not pleased by that. <coughs> He's thinking, I am the only one of the, the line of Saul left that could possibly be a threat to David's new throne slash crown. Uh, David must see me as a threat, and he's going to get rid of me too. Little old so he's lying before David thinking, I cannot stand before this king. I deserve to die. He calls himself a dead dog. I love my puppy dog, so you know, I can't really understand this completely. But you know, dogs in those days were considered worthless. And my wife said, yeah, the dog is dead. But no, uh, <laughs> uh, worthless. And so a dead dog, that's pretty worthless. So he's, he's you know, calling himself the most contemptible thing. I can't stand before you. I am a dead dog. But David looks down at him, and he doesn't see any of that. Because of Jonathan, he sees somebody who wants to love on and bless and give this unconditional kindness. That's a pretty radical kind of love that David is giving for Mephibosheth. And that's the kind of love that God has for us. He doesn't see anything we've done, where we come from, what our problems are what our hang-ups are, our scars, our wounds. He sees a child that he wants to welcome into his family and love That's how God sees us. And it's so awesome. I mean, you can imagine that Mephibosheth would get excited with the fact that, you mean I get to live? I'm forgiven? I, I'm free? I guess I go back to Lodabar and celebrate that, right? I mean, it would have been exciting enough just that he gets to keep his life. But that's not the end of the story. We've gotten a little teaser at the end of the story. David wants so much more from Mephibosheth than just to forgive him and let him live. He wants to lavish him with blessings and gifts 
and love. Sometimes salvation is good. Salvation is something worth celebrating. When souls get saved, and we, we celebrate those in the church, and we should, because somebody has, has made a choice to avoid eternal punishment in hell. Um, I mean, that's, yes, that's great. Forgiveness. But that's not the end of the story in the Christian world. When somebody is saved, that means that they're entered into the family of God. And they get to live with God, the abundant life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, together we do this. And we're not completely restored here on earth yet, but we will be when Jesus returns and we get to live with Him in paradise. Yes, we celebrate salvation. We need to let that just be the beginning of the celebration of someone. The finish that is going to receive so much more from David here. Beginning in verse 9. Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's attendant, and said to him, Everything that belonged to Saul and to his entire house I hereby give to your master's grandson. You will cultivate the land for him, you and your sons and your servants. You will bring its produce, and it will be food for your master's grandson to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson will be a regular guest at your table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do everything that my lord the king has instructed his servant to do. So Mephibosheth was a regular guest at David's table, just as though he were one of the king's sons. Now Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All the members of his household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth was living in Jerusalem, but he was a regular guest of the king's table. I think this piece picks up all So David expresses his kindness to Mephibosheth in, in two different ways. The first one we see, David, uh, Mephibosheth received an inheritance. He received everything that was Saul's. Servants, servants who would cultivate the land and serve him, and, and uh, he had an inheritance. Saul was king. He was promised so much. And Saul lost that because of the pride, because of the choices he made. But David did that bad time. In the same way, we are descendants of a man named Adam who was promised so much in the garden, in paradise with God. He had fellowship with God. He could walk with God. And he was promised great blessings, no sin, no pain. Um, paradise with the king. He lost that with the choices he made. We receive. We receive that inheritance when we turn to Jesus. God is restoring things to how it was supposed to be because of Jesus. It's because of Jonathan that Mephibosheth receives this. The second expression of his kindness is a seat at the table. A seat at the table. You know, I love the net translation, but I think we should with how they translate it here. It says, So the Mephibosheth was a regular guest at tables at, at, um, at David's table. A regular guest. Uh, well, I dug a little deeper, and the, you know, in the original text, it, it was more along the lines that he always ate at the king's table. I think there's a big difference there. David wasn't a guest at the table. Okay? I go home to my mom's house every once in a while and I may feel like a guest after a couple of days um, but after day three, day four she says, you know, you can start putting your own dishes away because you're not a guest anymore, you're family 
At some point, you start eating at the same table over and over and over again. You're no longer a guest. What are you? Text doesn't say it, but I'm looking at this. And the food chef is family now with David. He's brought into the family. That's a powerful thing. That's adoption. And that's the gospel. That's what God does to each one of us. When we're far away from him, we're orphans and we bring these in. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 says, But when the appropriate time had come, God sent out his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may be adopted as sons with full rights. Because of Jesus, we are children of the king with full rights of grand inheritance. That's what adoption means. And that's what I see here in the tradition. When you transform identity, whole new reality. But don't miss the final verse. Don't miss these last words. It says, but both of his feet were still crippled. Both of his feet were crippled. Okay? God calls us in as we are. He doesn't tell us we have to change before we receive the grace of God. Now, when we receive the grace, He transforms us. But He calls us in just as we are. And that's so important in the church to remember as we receive new brothers and sisters in Christ. We all have scars and wounds from where we came from. I am so thankful of the grace of God in my life. Um, so thankful of what God has done for me. But sometimes I can give in to being judgmental. And I can look at someone else and say, seriously? They're now family when they're struggling with this. They did this. Or they're right now doing this. That's not how it works. God's grace says, come as you are. God transforms us in ways beyond our imagination. That doesn't mean that all the scars and wounds won't go away. They don't. But for the chef, is still crippled. Can you imagine if David had gone and said, Okay, Mephibosheth, I've got great news for you. I'm going to let you live. I'm going to bring you into my household and give you this great inheritance. And, oh, by the way, you have to learn to walk first. That's not good news. And that's not the good news of our gospel first. That's not grace. Grace says God is reaching out to show his unconditional kindness. Will you come and take the gift? Jesus just wants us to turn to him. And when we're children of the king, he transforms us into royalty. The, the, the text doesn't tell us how the Phoebeshoff lived after this. We, we can only assume. I'm sure it was rough at first. I mean, you can imagine coming to the table, the Phoebeshoff clogged, 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 just trying to get to the table and taking a seat. We've got Solomon, brilliant Solomon, who wrote half the Bible, Absalom. Beautiful Absalom, Queen Abigail, and all royal, got it together people. But we know from the rest of our Bibles, we've got it together people. They didn't really have it all together. But I bet Mephibosheth really kind of struggled with his self worth. Maybe I should just be better off if I went back to Nabal. I'm sure some of the brothers and sisters there were knuckleheads and, and sometimes gave him a hard time for his limp. Um, but King David would, would, would have none of that. So you are now family, and we accept you as you are. It was a process. But I'm sure that 
but that the grace he received would captivate and transform him into human royalty. I think that's the message for all of us. When we remember what the grace of God is, and we let it captivate us once again, and God's Spirit can transform us to the way we I'd like to use an illustration now, and I'm curious how many people will uh, be tracking me here. Any Downton Abbey fans out there? I got a few, got a couple. All right, the rest of y'all are in. Right, okay. um, I was made fun of after the last service for using Downton Abbey. Yes, I was Downton Abbey. Um, anyways, so the two of y'all are like Downton Abbey. You got a favorite character? All right, so I'm going to give you mine. What's that? Violet, yeah, that's Dan. She's awesome. Her hands. Um, I'm a uh, Tom Branch is my favorite character. Anybody else seen Tom? Uh, y'all haven't seen that one. All right, so I'm going to bring the rest of y'all up to speed. Uh, there, were, there were more in the first service. Down Abbey, English estate in the, in the early 1900s. And you've got the royal family that lives upstairs. Um, we call them royalty. You know, the very privileged family upstairs, the family. And you've got the servants downstairs. And the di- it's all about the dynamics between them. And, you know, I mean, there's good relationship between the servants. That's how it is in England. It wasn't a slavery kind of deal. Um, but, I mean, there's very much two different classes of people. you got Tom, my, my guy. Tom Branson, the driver in the first season. Okay? He was servant, downstairs guy. But he falls in love with Sybil, one of the daughters, and marries into the family. Well, this is scandalous, so they run off, get married, and she gets they get pregnant, and they come back to the house. She dies in childbirth. You just got Tom and the child. So what now? I mean, what is Tom's identity? Should he go back to living with the service, to the servants? And I tell you what, there are people in the family that really kind of wrestle like, this is the driver. Sybil's gone. You know, I don't, I don't know that she can be up here. Um, but cooler heads prevail in the family, and they welcome Tom. And it's an adjustment period at first. Tom's still struggling with, you know, you know where, where he came from. But it's been cool to watch over the many seasons. Next Sunday's the last episode. Uh, it's been cool to see this transformation take place. And now you turn on down and have And uh, if, you, if, if any of y'all who, who hadn't seen it, you would have never known that he was one of the servants before. Because he looks just like the family. He's making decisions for the family, helping with financial matters for the family. He's helping with the squabbles between the sisters. He's a brother to them. He's been transformed, and he's living out the good of the family. And I think that's something similar to happening in the first time. And that's what can happen to each one of us if we are captivated by the grace of God. We can be transformed to realize that we are indeed royalty, children of the king, heirs of great promise. That sets us free to do incredible things. What would that look like? First of all, it helps with our self-worth. We realize that we value. God loves us, wants to use us. He's positioned each of you in a particular place for kingdom work. Whether that's at home with crazy kids or at work or out in the fields, working with other farmers and ranchers, whatever, I don't know. But wherever you are, God has positioned you for kingdom work. To live for His glory. To do important things for His kingdom here in the church. To serve in the church.
mighty God. We thank you for your son, Jesus. He loves us so much that he died in our place. And then because of Jesus, we are set free, Lord. And we're part of your family. Lord, we will never lose sight of our amazing grace in this. And we never forget how much your son did for us, Lord. God, may your spirit transform us in a way that your grace move in our lives in such a way, Lord, that we may act like we're living for you. Thank you.